Hear the word of the Lord in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin working death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at work and at at war with the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin which dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I of myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. His ways are past finding out. The Word of God has an amazing power of analysis of the human heart. It can look within it and not only diagnose its ailments, but prescribe the very remedies which are needed for every hurting spirit. And this section of Romans chapter 7 is an x-ray of God to diagnose the need of your heart. The results of the x-ray are immediate. They bring to us a picture that there are many within Christendom, within this room, who, naming the name of Christ and considering themselves to belong to him, yet know nothing of his help and joy, and for whom religion is really a pretty dreary business, to be carried, to be sure, but at best a necessary kind of evil. They want to be Christ's, but the burden is heavy, and the way is long. 
perhaps even in the reading of these words you found an x-ray of your own heart. The Holy Spirit uses Paul's own experience as the equipment of diagnosis. For Paul's not writing here academically, detachedly. This is the agony of his own soul. He's writing in his own blood the experience of his life. He's looking back upon it through regenerated eyes. But the period of his life into which he looks is the Damascus Road crisis. He sees himself as a man who has experienced keenly the limitation of the law. What then would be the summary of these words? If we had to put them together, we might strike a line and say, the law is utterly unable to deliver. Only the grace of Christ can save. The law is utterly unable to deliver. Only the grace of Christ can save. But I can almost detect that someone is saying, but who is tempted to observe the Jewish law now as a way of salvation? Well, probably no one of us, but Paul's admonition and experience go far broader than just the Jewish law observance. He is getting to a basic tendency of human life which exists in every age with different trappings and different words. Nevertheless, in every generation, this particular trap comes alive and even the elect, if it were possible, could be deceived by it. It will not die, this particular error. It is like a fog that comes under the doorway and through the windows. It is everywhere. This lie, this bondage into which Paul had been brought and kept, and which finally he saw as a great limiting, deadening factor in his life and from which he was graciously delivered. What is this trap? It was evident in Paul's day. It is evident in ours. It is here. Could we call it the lie of legalism? The lie, because as we read in verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual. Paul knows that the law is spiritual. That is, it comes from a spiritual God. It is a transcript of his character. And the law does not only concern itself with the external things, but it goes to the desires and thoughts and imaginations of the heart. The law is a spiritual thing. It controls the inner impulses of a person. It is noble. It has a destiny. 
It has a permanence of a kind, and the law, therefore, is a very lofty and wonderful thing coming from God. We know that the law is spiritual. And as Paul said to his young disciple Timothy, the law is good if a man use it lawfully. But therein is the snare. It's because the law is spiritual and good that it is tempting to use. It is at hand as the answer to a soul under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You may have read a book, a biography of a great saint or missionary. You may have read an account of a revival meeting. You may have heard a, a music or a message that stirred your heart. You may have seen a Christian film that brought tears to your eyes. And you came under the sensitive working of the Holy Spirit. He began to show you how shallow and empty your life really was. And you made an inner determination to become a Christian and to follow after this view of the higher life that you saw. And at hand, presented by the evil one, was the law as the remedy for your soul's hurt. And you decided to seize it and follow it and give yourself to becoming a better person. You attended church, perhaps even joined the church, and you're seeking by disciplines of various kinds to become a better and better person. You know the law is spiritual. You're not only reforming the outside, you're caring about attitudes and desires and imaginations. But there's the snare. What you seized upon was the lie of legalism. That lie is that righteousness can be achieved by works. James Stewart, in his book, A Man in Christ, gives us some of the features of legalism, which are the same in every age. They are here. For example, legalism is the redemption by human effort. Here's a person who, seeing the moral law before him, screws up his courage and takes it upon himself to climb that mountain and produce that life in his own strength. And he will gallantly set out on this mission, but ultimately and inevitably he will come to disillusionment and failure. This is a person who decides that he will build a better life and throw himself into what he does, but the building he erects is a babel, a tower that is an abomination to God. If Paul came up with anything in this chapter, it was the great conviction that man cannot save himself. And the next breath was, salvation is of the Lord. The features of legalism. Legalism brings the mercenary spirit into religion. I mean by that, that a person amasses certain good deeds and then says to God, here they are, where is my reward? Oh, I know there are things I didn't do right, and I know there are things I left undone, but surely these good works of mine outweigh the others. 
And this becomes a bargaining with God as to see what is enough to bring me into heaven. But how can man bargain with God when he has the claim upon us? We could work our fingers to the bone and never have any claim of indebtedness upon God. Legalism is a love of negatives. When legalism steals in, we begin to define things in what we will not do. Thou shalt not. And we think erroneously that if we do not do this thing, which perhaps is harmful for us anyway, and we omit that thing and we don't do the other thing, that by not doing these things, somehow we are now categorized as Christians. That's legalism. But how defeating it is. Because you can sweep a house clean of all these things and seven devils worse than the first will come back. You can close up the shutters of a house to keep everything out, but you also keep out the sunshine and the air of God's free grace. Legalism is a great burden to carry. It's too heavy for any man or woman to bear. It's a dreary business and burdensome at the best. It's an empty trap. It has no goal in it. It leads to hell itself. It is an utter lie of Satan. Paul looks back and says, that's where I was. I was in that trap. And some of you were there. You mean well. You want to be Christians. You want to be the best person you can be. But when you look deep within the human heart and find out what is really happening, you are earning your way. You've fallen into the trap, my brother. The subtlety of the trap is that it does not recognize the power of human sin. Legalism would be all right if this were a perfect and innocent world, as it was in the days of Adam and Eve. If we had not entered into the fall and brought sin into the very atmosphere and into our flesh and into everything, legalism would be a road that led to life. It would be keeping the commandments of God that would usher in life. But the facts are the other way. Sin has entered and death with it. We live in a fallen world and every one of us is a fallen creature. We do not even know one one hundredth of the sin which has clung to our soul, said John Calvin. It is sin working in the flesh that makes law unable to help us and defeats the intentions of law. It is the power of sin working in the flesh which weakens law and defeats its intentions. For example, this is what Paul says in verse 14, I am carnal. I am carnal. 
What he means by that is that I am fleshly. When the Bible speaks of carnal or fleshly, it means that material part of ourselves, that which is weak and inadequate and apart from God, has nothing good in it. Not that the flesh is in itself evil, but that the flesh of man is the very point where sin as a force comes and attacks man and uses the opportunity to do evil in the heart of man. So when he says, I am carnal, he's saying this flesh of mine has become the attack point for sin, which has set up its household within my flesh. He's recognizing the reality. He could never recognize this if he weren't looking back from regenerate eyes. But in his own position of simply being convicted of sin and not ushered into Christ, he couldn't do anything about it. I am sold under sin. He meant by that, of course, that sin was his tyrant, it was his master. And this is simply a following up on Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you yield yourselves to anyone as slaves, you are the slaves of the one you obey, either of sin or of obedience? And so right there, we can see that Paul knew himself to be sold under sin. You see, legalism doesn't recognize how pervasive and strong and deep the power of sin is. But let me show you what it does to the conscience. It torments the human conscience. It blinds the human judgment. It brings the conscience into slavery. It destroys the fellowship of the conscience with God. It hardens the heart. Sin warps the moral sense of man till he can call good evil and evil good. Thus, sin really has the upper hand in the person who is under conviction but not yet ushered into Christ. And that's exactly where Paul said he was. He said, I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And again in verse 18, he said, I know that nothing good dwells within me. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. It is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. In other words, this man was under great difficulty and in a most precarious situation. He found himself being governed by a principle which was not aligned with his own highest powers. And that part of him which had been enlightened by the Holy Spirit and which saw that the law was spiritual could not seem to control the rest of his being. The things that he wanted to do and accomplish, he could not do because of sin which dwelt within him. Now, this is what law and legalism will not and does not recognize. Look then at the condition of this person, maybe yourself, who, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, has been brought to a certain point of enlightenment, perhaps even calls himself a Christian, 
but yet finds his own experience echoed here. This person is in a great struggle. And you can see the struggle illustrated right there in verse 22. I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. Here was Paul. The Spirit of God had come upon him. He saw how great the law of God was, and there was a deep inner mind within him that resonated with the law of God and wanted to keep it and admired and delighted in it and would have run with it. But at the same time, he says, in my members another law is at work, and it is the law of sin. And this law, this force of sin, has set up a military base in my body. And from the military base of my flesh, it has a strategy which is fiendish and devilish and very definite to conquer me. And the law of sin being so strong, it has me at spear point. And it marches me to the wall. And though in my law of my mind I delight in the law of God, I am utterly helpless because sin has me in its grip. That's the plight of the nominal Christian. The great conflict of knowing better but unable to do anything about it. And so the nominal Christian settles for a stalemate. The stalemate is described in verse 25, the last part. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There's the stalemate. This person with the mind honoring God and wishing to be his cannot bring the flesh along behind to correspond with the mind. Though he wills to do good, he cannot do good. What a plight. What a stalemate. And this is precisely where many American Christians find themselves today. In their mind, they are admiring the truths of God's Word. They may be listening to preaching Sunday after Sunday. They may have Christian music in their homes and read their Bibles. But nothing is taking place in their lives. They are unable to change the habits and patterns of conduct. And fleshly sins have them in their grip. They've come to the stalemate. They serve the law of God with their mind, but with their flesh the law of sin. This is a terrible division of mind and body. It is abomination in the sight of God. But it is the plight of the soul that has been touched by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but not delivered into the freedom that there is in Christ. So why else and what else could a soul do but cry out? Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
If we could today shine a searchlight into the inner heart of the nominal Christian, we would find there this great cry of exhaustion. He is weary from carrying his religion because it is an effort of his own. Christ is the bearer. He is to be carrying us, not we him. He is to be holding us up. But the nominal Christian carries his religion. It is a religion of his own efforts, a religion of his own endeavors. And so he wearies. And inside there's the agony of fatigue. Oh, wretched man that I am. It's the anguish of his heart that is heard here. He wants to be a better Christian, better and better, but he cannot be. He is held back by sin. He longs to be like Christ, but he cannot be, for the conflict wages within him. It's the cry of fruitlessness. He would love to bring forth fruit to God, but you cannot bear fruit, we saw in the beginning of this chapter, if you're married to the law. There's no fruit. The only way to bear fruit is to be married to the one who himself said, your fruit shall abide. It's the cry of frustration. Here the Apostle Paul and mirroring the experience of many, many across this land. Here the Apostle Paul is saying, why under the pressure of legalism, and knowing what I know about the law of God, my own personality was disintegrating. I was coming apart. In fact, I was in the abyss of despair and self-loathing. And there Paul fulfilled the words of the psalmist, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O my God. Then, when the apostle has given his great cry of frustration, the Spirit of the Lord leads him to a beautiful parenthesis in which he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, because standing on the other side of the Damascus Road, he knows that he came out of that terrible struggle into the freedom of Christ. You see, he had a power problem. He knew what to do right, but he did not have the strength to do it in the law. But when he met Jesus Christ, he got connected with the power of the grace of Jesus Christ. And he found that that power set him free from the law of sin and death and ushered him into the realm of the grace of Christ. The moment he thinks of Christ, he thinks of grace. When he thinks of the Father, it is his love. Of the Spirit, it is his fellowship. But of the Savior, he thinks of his grace. Grace is God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. It is getting what we do not deserve. The grace of Christ is furnishing to us all the riches of heaven at his personal expense. So
So he gives us forgiveness and love and joy and freedom. And he himself pays with the nail prints in the hands and the crown of thorns and the sword in the side and the wrath of God and hell itself. All this he paid that there might be free grace, that no soul should labor on in legalism. Oh, how opposite they are. Grace is receiving. Legalism is achieving. Grace is resting. Legalism is striving. Grace is abiding. Legalism is fretting. Oh, what great contrast they are. There is no hope in legalism. But the grace of Christ is open and available for every soul. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But by his mercy hath he saved us. Friend, some of you may have labored in this condition for days or weeks. I labored in it for years. But God brings freedom to all who will repent of this endeavor. For you see, legalism is really your pride, thinking that you can somehow possibly achieve enough to please God is colossal arrogance, is it not? Repent of your pride. Put aside your legalism. And come to Jesus. His arms are open. He takes you as you are. And he embraces you in his love. Thirty times in this chapter the word I. I, I, I. That's the life of legalism. But when you come to Christ, you surrender that. You see, legalism has been defeated on the battlefield. And grace appears as the answer. Why go with a defeated force? Why not take the better way? Why not surrender to the Spirit of Christ? And bathing in his grace, leave Romans 7 behind you and come into the beauty of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. There is room there for you. Come, O blessed Savior, to confess our human efforts over years to achieve our own redemption. We have sought 
to be Christ's and to grow in Christ in human ways. But you stand before us now offering your free grace and we come and drink. We leave behind us the burden of legalism never more to pick it up and come now home